Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, I've spent most of the day eating birthday cake. How's your day been, Catherine? <laughs> that sounds like my day yesterday up until about uh, 6pm. Mm. Um, yeah, I arrived uh, at the studios today, David, and the, the birthday cake that I had had one bite of yesterday before the drama unfolded was still sat there, sadly, on, on my table looking crusty. And you did. So I hope your birthday cake was nice. Yeah, I still ate it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. How's your day been, Matt? Well, you've actually just reminded me that I do have some cake that I haven't eaten today. My mum kindly brought around some banana cake. Oh, so oh. splendid. In celebration of David Law's birthday, exactly. of course. So I'll be tucking into that after we've done this. So yeah, it's just got Marvelous. a whole lot better. Thanks, David. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, look, let's start with the first half an hour of Catherine Whitaker's Prime video coverage today, because I found it absolutely fascinating. Look, we've got loads of tennis to talk about uh, from live action, from matches today. There are plenty of storylines that we're going to cover, including Serena Williams and Dominic Thiem and Svetlana Peronkova, all of these players they've all got their own stories but it is still very much the day after the night before in terms of Novak Djokovic and and we've had a few further developments no great amounts of news but I did find the the recap that you had with your various pundits and you had a studio of Greg Rosetsky and Daniela Hantikova and Mary Carrillo on a live link from Flushing Meadows I just found it really a great watch for half an hour and, and 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 actually it really made me think about things in a slightly different way particularly Daniela Hantikova which I mean I think she's a really good pundit anyway I really like listening to her but I found her um, contributions just just really fascinating I think partly because I know that she knows Novak Djokovic pretty well and certainly is is very very well known to Marion Vida they, they get on well don't they um what what how would you sum up her her view of what was said Catherine you're asking me to go back to nine hours ago or something correct <laughs> um 
Well, I mean, there were there were there were many points to it. I when she arrived this morning in the, um, I was already in the the hair and makeup room. She arrived and she sat down and she was clearly still in a sort of semi zombified, uh, not had enough sleep state, which we're all in. Um, and she was really really quiet to start with, and then she said, Catherine, um, how are we going to address the the Novak thing today? And I said, oh, these are the vague plans, but it, it's kind of all up for grabs. What, um, <clears throat> you know, you're obviously the new voice in the studio. We heard from Greg yesterday, so I want to make sure you get to say everything you, you want to say. And I saw that she had some notes on her lap, um, which obviously, you know, she does her research and so on. But, you know, there are bullet points laid out in front of her. And she said, I've been really thinking about about what I want to say. And... When she reeled, reeled it all off for me, I was so taken aback because, as you say, she does have a relationship with, with Novak Djokovic. She's very close to his coach, Marian Vider. He's a fellow Slovakian. Um, and she has a relationship also with, with Novak Djokovic's wife, Yelena. Um, thinks a lot of them, doesn't she? And thinks a lot of them and and understands them. You know, there is that element that I know you're always conscious of, David, when we when we talk about Djokovic of perhaps we don't make enough allowance for or take into account enough where he's from, where he's come from, the fact that he's from, you know, a, a war-torn country and what he's had to fight against to, to get to where he is. Well, she understands every bit of that um, and the significance of it in, in his psyche, potentially. But having said all of that, she was pulling no punches with regards to how she saw the incident. She said, this has been a very long time coming. And she said he, she said he has a, a, an anger problem and he needs to seek some sort of anger management help. Um, she said, she said, look, it's entirely normal for tennis players to have difficulty controlling their emotions and, and, and holding back feelings of anger on a tennis court and she said Roger Federer had that you know you know better than anyone David that he was a total hothead until he was what 18 19 maybe even a maybe even a little bit older and he recognized that that was not not viable if he if he wanted to to be everything that he could be um now obviously look <laughs> Novak Djokovic has achieved plenty um with this, as I said, Daniela deems a problem, frankly, that he needs to address. Um, but he hasn't achieved everything he wants to achieve, either in terms of titles and records or in terms of affection from the from the public and from the tennis world. So, and she had absolutely no clemency at all for his failure to front up afterwards she said that's cowardice that's the opposite of leadership um and he should be ashamed of himself and there was quite a lot of discussion in the studio about entourages and what it's like when you're hugely successful and everybody you're surrounded by is is employed by you and can't necessarily be trusted or certainly isn't incentivized to tell you any kind of hard truths and, you know, Greg was pretty hard on this. He said somebody should have stopped him from leaving, stopped him from leaving. Look, maybe that wasn't possible, 
but you know when I saw the clips of him leaving sight it didn't look like anyone was blocking his path to the car no, I didn't actually um, see anybody with him though personally when I saw him get no. into the car and and I should say that I think Mary added the thing is that Goran Ivanisevich is a truth guy mm. and and he he's not somebody who desperately needs the money and therefore the job but which I mean look I don't know the story I haven't spoken to Goran uh, but I know when I've I mean I get on very well with Goran but I mean he walked out on on a tennis tournament with me about 20 20 years ago when he lost a match and he he was really angry and I tried to get him to stay and he just said no and he just got in the car and he went um and uh and you know we we spoke later and and he did he did speak later but I think he I think he gets that he does get that element of it but but I do think yeah, it, it it feels like he he wasn't advised by somebody he's prepared to listen to about what you actually do in this particular situation. There are crisis management or public relations, but you've got to be prepared to listen. There's no point in just having somebody on the staff who tells you what to do if you don't take any notice. I don't I don't know what happened. We know we got the the statement and that you know, I thought it was a decent statement. It's just that it's not what should have happened. But I found Daniela's view on all of that really, really something to, to behold. And I wasn't expecting it either. Um, and, I, and I kind of feel like it's those kind of conversations that Novak Djokovic, I would love to take to heart, really. Because, uh, you know, she's certainly not out to get him. Not in any way. Um, she wants. She wants what's best for him. I'm sure of that. Um, so, she she also mentioned in in that chat that he keeps mistiming things, and she referenced the the Adria Tour as an example. That yeah, he really wanted to do a good thing, but you know he got it all wrong. He he the Professional Tennis Players Association comes from a good place on a certain level, wanting to do things for. Uh, for lower ranked players and thinking that players aren't getting enough of of the pie etc etc but it's not the right time for that when the tour is trying to rebuild itself you know i just i did find all of that almost quite a relief you know that somebody that relevant and close to to him and somebody's understanding of him felt as strongly about it there was another part of the discussion that I thought was interesting. It was something Daniela said, and you talked about with Mary as well, that one of the reasons why this is such a difficult issue for Djokovic is that the problems he's facing here come from the same qualities he has that have made him such a good tennis player. And this idea of Djokovic showing emotion, I mean, everyone remembers that 18 months when he was not emotional at all on the court. And he, he didn't win barely anything in that period. And it, it, it coincided with a dip in his form. And everyone was saying he needs to get that emotion back and that defiance back. And obviously, it's a, it's a tight line he walks between sort of having that outward defiance, but not behaving recklessly by flinging his racket or hitting a ball away in anger. And I think he's, he's, he's had to walk that line throughout his career. And... The other point Daniela made was about Djokovic's 
stubbornness. And I'm interested in the issue of stubbornness on with athletes anyway, because I think it can be an incredibly important quality. It's it's what gets it helps gets you to the top, that belief in yourself and you know, in tennis terms, trusting your game when you're in tight situations. If you do have that stubbornness, it can help. But you've also obviously got to make adjustments. But in terms of Djokovic, Daniello obviously brought up the fact that he's been close to having these this sort of thing happening before, like we said in the podcast yesterday. And he's been quite stubborn about how it's not an issue for him. And I think the point she was making is that in the past, he perhaps needed to be a little bit more open to the fact that this could be an issue and be a little bit less stubborn about that. And maybe this wouldn't have happened if he had been. And I just thought it was such an interesting perspective on the way that something which can bring you so much good in one respect can also lead to your downfall if you don't tread the line carefully. Yeah, it it's a fine line, isn't it, between between being defiant and needing something to rail against in order to get the best out of yourself and and developing a a victim mentality you know the world's out to get me we saw in that exchange that 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 that's now circulating widely between Djokovic and and Neil McClemon that that we talked about on last night's pod from from 2016 where he so so quickly defaulted to saying what so I'm the only bloke that does that do I why are you asking me about it and Neil says well you're you're the world number one you are a significant significant player I you know all the rest of it but it was so reflexive for him to say why me why are you asking me about this um and and we don't know because unfortunately we couldn't overhear exactly what was being said in that 12 minute discussion on the court yesterday but a lot of the snippets that are being reported were sort of you know quite similar things you know why me would you do this to somebody else um, Nick Kyrgios certainly thinks that uh, it would would be done to him. Uh, that was quite the tweet that he put out there. Um, he also said ball in poll, girl. In poll, he put yeah. it. He put it out in poll form. I saw. Um, Did he? How long? Right. How long would my ban be if that had been me? Would it be five years, ten years, or fifteen years? Yeah, but he. Yeah, he did also, as Matt says, get a critical piece of information wrong. It was all weird. It was weird. Yeah. Anyway, okay. there you go. Um, final there you point go. that I wanted to make on this is I've read today that the Lions judge who was hit in the throat by a tennis ball and that was the end of her working day, um, feeling awful in that situation, has received a lot of online abuse over the last 24 hours. And I'm, I mean, that ha- how, how can that happen? How can anybody think that is acceptable how can anybody think that that is the right thing to do i hope i hope to the bottom of my soul that nobody who's done that has ever listened to this tennis podcast and uh and i just you know if if you know anybody who does behave like that get them to stop um because it's just disgusting um and i'm quite sure novak Djokovic would be disgusted by it as well right Let's talk about some tennis. Serena Williams has played today and she's won. She's played against Maria Sakkari and um, she's she's beaten her in three sets in a very, very similar match to 
to the one that they played, what was it, just about 10 days ago. Um, very close first set. Serena won it. I mean, actually, it was not as close as the one from, uh, from a couple of weeks ago. Second set, exactly the same. Tie break. Williams edged out. Totally different story in the third and deciding set. I think it, I think it was 10 days ago when she'd been having all of these final set defeats, very close set defeats, and she was she seemed to be quite fatigued. And she capitulated, completely capitulated 6-1 to Zachary. And that's the closest I think we've seen her come to, to a proper tank, a proper, I just, I just can't do this, I'm not, I'm not going to play. Whereas in this match, she just dug in. Matt, did you, is, what, what was your take on what you saw? Because it was a really close contest, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I said the other day that I didn't find the, Serena Sloan Stevens match all that compelling. I found it a little bit odd. I think because Stevens went a little bit flat in the last couple of sets that Serena sort of had this fight back, but it didn't feel like a fight back. She just sort of suddenly won. Whereas against Zachary, she had to summon her fighting qualities. And I find that so compelling and enthralling to watch because whenever Serena has to do that, you you know she's facing the weight of history and also the sort of ticking clock that is her career. Every every match she plays at a Grand Slam feels so significant because of the stage she's at in her career. So just to see her having to fight and summon her best is just a it's just a very compelling watch, number one. Um in terms of the actual tennis, I thought a little bit like what we said when she played Chong Wong at the Australian Open. She had these bursts where she, suddenly she was playing really well, but they weren't lasting. And it was actually it was actually similar, I thought, that she was, she was doing enough to sort of not lose the match. She was playing well in little moments, but then her game would fall off a little bit. And I was slightly taken aback by how Zachary was dominating the rallies from the baseline and Serena's serve was keeping her in in the match for for a good period there but then as you said David the third set couldn't have been more different to the match they played the other day and more encouraging for Serena because I mean lots of people were saying Serena had tanked that that third set against Zachary but I think she would say she simply ran out of energy whereas today she was energized and she needed to be because Zachary kept playing at such a high level and um yeah, Serena Serena wrestled that final set away from her. She suddenly found a few returns, connected with them, got it back on serve. And she did that thing where she got louder and started hitting the ball harder. I think I think Prime brought up a graphic that her ground stroke speed increased about 10 miles an hour at various points in that match in the first set and then again in the third set. And it was... It was great that she still got those levels. I'm just slightly concerned that she can't seem to sustain those levels for a long period of time. But today it was enough to get her through the match. And it was, yeah, it was it was a fascinating watch. In in other, Daniela Hantukova said fascinating things today, news. I asked her about the heavy, uh, loud, audible breathing of Serena Williams and whether this is a new thing or whether it's just a new thing that we're hearing it because there are no crowds. And she said, it's absolutely not a new thing. That is always the volume at which (laughs) Serena Williams has breathed, which I found really interesting because it's so striking, isn't it? 
it stresses mean, me out a bit. It's, it is a stressful watch. It's so loud. I'm going to need to properly uh, watch like this because I haven't Vader. really. And, and but you know, it, it's reminds me that when we're at Queens and we get to stand on the side of the court at the end of a match, because that's the role of taking the players to their interviews. Two players that always struck me for for the sound of their breathing that I did not know about from the TV at all. One was Andy Roddick. Uh, he would hit the ball, run, and he'd be, just, he'd be, it'd be, but it'd be really heavy breathing, and it'd be almost deliberate breathing in order to to control it and and to to arrive at the ball and with a with a breath at a certain time, almost like a swimmer. I, I kind of felt. And the other one was Mario Ancic. He was incredibly loud, um, and it it was almost as though they were exhaling in a certain way to to absolutely maximise the the power on their stroke. I suppose a bit like grunting is for for certain players, but but it, but they weren't grunts. It was all done through just breathing. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Catherine, about was the demeanour of Maria Sakkari, because. I feel like she has the potential to be doing even better than she is right now. She's doing really well. She's 15th seed here. She's having the best time of her career. But she seems so on the edge of her nerves all the time that after every point, she's turning around and either fist pumping, which is obviously a positive, or she's berating herself to her coach. She she feels – I mean, look, I don't know her, and and maybe – Maybe that maybe she would be a an inferior player if she held it in. But I just I'm just trying to get my head around whether that side of her could improve her game if she handled it differently, if she was able to. Uh, yeah, I don't know enough about her to know she's able to, but I certainly I for me I detect a hint of wanting it a little bit too much and too quickly from her. By all accounts, she is just an absolute animal in terms of how hard she works off the court and and I can imagine that when you're working that hard you you want to see you want to see the results you want to see the rewards and the payoff for it and look she's she's getting those um as you say she's 15 seed she's you know she's clearly on the rise but she is 24 she's she is a relatively late bloomer she's got you know just very slow brain functioning, attempting to do some ma- very um, rudimentary maths. She's got eight. She's got eight years on Coco Golf and and other various youngsters breaking through. So I I do think there is a hint of impatience and her apply, applying pressure to herself, which I find very understandable um, and particularly understandable today. You know, she's out there thinking, "Well, I beat her nine days ago." So I should beat her today. I think she walked on court expecting to win. Um, but I, I think she'll need good people around her. I don't know enough about her her British coach to know if he's the right guy. He's obviously got her to a, to a good place in terms of where she is at the moment. But in terms of getting her to reach her potential, I agree with you, David. I think I, that is something she's she's going to need to to work on and... and yeah, what's required for that? I don't know. Mm. Well, the next opponent for Serena is Svetlana Peronkova, which she's a great story in herself, and we'll we'll come on to her story in a moment. But she was playing this absolute epic against Elise Cornet, and we were we were trying to debate in our five live coverage 
who would Serena rather play out of Elise Cornet, who's I think beaten her two or three times, including at Wimbledon, or but is but has a a fairly up and down sort or, or fairly straightforward game. But she's a baseline game. She's a but she's a scrapper, and if you're off, she's going to get you. Um, whereas Peronkova has a, a fast court game, and and it's unorthodox. What what do you think? Do you do you think this is good news for Serena Matt that she's got Peronkova, or or would it have been better to get Corny? As it turned out, it's quite good news because Peronkova looks exhausted to me. Oh, really? Yeah. She, I mean, I don't know how she won that third set. She was out on her feet after losing the second set. At one point, there was a 40-shot rally, and she just sat down afterwards. Just <laughs> <laughs> sort of wandered over to the side of the court and sat down, and I was I was relating one, very hard. There's, there's plenty of seats. Yeah. <laughs> one part of that is relatable, the bit about sitting yeah. down. The 40-stroke rally, not so much. <laughs> yeah, um, she's played... I mean, she's, it almost feels irrelevant to kind of look back at their past matches because it's obviously been so long since Pronkova was even on the tour. But it does strike me from what I'm reading of people who know Pronkova better that she's not exactly doing anything particularly differently to what she used to do. She seems to have come back with a very similar game in terms of slicing the forehand, flat ground strokes, as you said, suiting a fast court. And she's not really had that much success against Serena in the past. Serena's dealt with her fairly handily. I think maybe Pronkova got one set once at Eastbourne. But I think it's an okay matchup for Serena, purely, as I said, because I I think Pronkova might have hit a little bit of a wall, a little bit of a limit. And I would would expect Serena to be quite a a strong favourite in that. Did you see Pronkova's on-court interview afterwards, Matt? It was... A delight. Oh, tell me more. We uh, we ran that in our sort of unofficial rap show at the end of the prime coverage, and we had Anki Othavong in in the studio, and um, we uh, we hadn't seen the VT before we were throwing to it, so Anne had no warning about what she was about to watch. I had told I had been told, look, it's Peronkova. Um, she's emotional on on the court in the, in the post match interview, and it wasn't very long, but it was enough time for Anne to start crying. <laughs> Bless her in the studio. It was really, you know, because she was she was asked about the the fact that she had the three year hiatus from 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 tennis in order to have her son Alexander, who she had in in April of of 2018. She had never planned to come back to tennis at the time that she retired. It was only the the changing of the WTA um, maternity rules that made her it made it even occur to her to to return to tennis. And that was all. She was speaking really well and clearly delighted to be in the quarterfinals. But it was all it was nothing that would specifically make you cry. And then she was asked about the fact that she had had to to leave her her son at home in order to travel to New York and and compete. And um, she did a bit of an Andy Murray. She started to talk and the lip went and uh, she had to, I mean, bless her, she sort of covered her mouth, even though there was a mask already doing that job for her. Um, and she just couldn't speak for a few moments. She had to gather herself and it was clearly, I'm doing it now, that's why I've gone all muffly. I'm sort of doing a Bronkover impersonation. Um it was it it was really special and emotional and it it's really cool that two mums are gonna play in in the next round. Only 
I know it feels like there's a lot of them on tour now and they're unquestionably, I mean, the the facts are what they are. There are loads more than there ever have been before, but there are still only three mums that have won Grand Slam titles in the Open Era. And two of those were Yvonne Goulagong and Margaret Court. And that was a long time ago. Wow. So it's Kim Clijsters. You know, it is, it would be massive. Um, and as we speak to you at the moment, Victoria Azarenka is still in the competition. So the yeah. fact that there could be, you know, three mum contenders for the title is super cool. Imagine if we ended up getting Serena Williams against Victoria Azarenka um, in the semi-finals. That would be so special because, I mean, they've they've got history, particularly here as well. They've, they played two finals here, I think. Yeah, they played back-to-back, didn't they, in twenty. 20- 12 and 2013 and I think they were and they were both both cracking matches yeah and um I just wanted to say on on Svetlana Peronkova as well she once she had gathered herself after crying she she muttered the words it's all worth it oh yeah I was comforting Anne by that stage Matt (laughs) (laughs) and she also opened up about just how how tennis has always been a a family affair for her as well because her brother is her coach and is with her in New York at the moment and they've been and she said my brother's been my hitting partner ever since I started playing tennis so they've sort of traveled this journey together I suppose and now they're and now they're just giving it this one last go there's I mean there's it's such a such an uplifting story and um yeah just you kind of just want the best for her really Mm. planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel. And Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Well, this time the last couple of nights around about this time we've been hyping Felix Auger-Aliassime against Dominic Team to an obscene level and it was all a bit disappointing 
<laughs> in the end. It was 7-6-6-1-6-1 for Dominic Team. Particularly disappointing for me, given that I said that Orge Aliasin would win. And I have humiliated myself on a daily basis now for about four days running. <laughs> so the less said about the predictions, the better. But what was your take on that match, Catherine? Well, a friend of mine texted me while I was in the car this morning, not driving, um, on the way in saying, oh, you know, the, the, a casual tennis fan, Felix auger would obviously come to their attention over the course of this tournament. And they, you know, liked the look of him and, and bought into the hype and sent me a message saying, oh, team against auger Aliassime, what's that going to be like? And I replied with seven fire emojis. <laughs> Uh, and I regret all seven of them. <laughs> um, I mean, you could probably use seven fire emojis to um, accurately depict Dominic Team's performance today, yeah. which was sensational. It was bullying, um, but you certainly wouldn't describe the competitive match with any sort of fire emoji. The, the funny thing is the, the first set was a tie break, 7-4 tie break. And yet team, it felt like he was out playing him in that set. And and so there was a, there were mo- so many moments when I'm commentating on that on that set and, and saying team is so far the better player so far. And so how is it, how are we going into a tie break here? Um, and then the reason was because team was serving for the set at 5-4 and threw in his one dodgy game of the entire match. And when he throws in a dodgy game, my word does he. I mean, he, he made four unforced errors, and they were all appalling. But once once he was into the tie break, he hit, he hit shots that I don't think Oji Aliasim has ever seen before. And, and he hit them from parts of the court that he's never faced anybody doing that against him before. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of what I've heard a lot of players say about the first time they play Nadal and they have, yeah. and they have to adjust to his weight of shot and his intensity on every point and his movement, which is so explosive and, and team is okay. He's not Nadal, but he's, he's displaying Nadal like qualities in, in those respects. And I think it's, I mean, the match for me just felt a little bit like a reality check of where Felix or seem is at the moment. I think, we we probably got slightly carried away by his dazzling performance against an injured Andy Murray and then a, an equally good performance against Mute, who's a player he probably should be beating. But I think... Uh, us carried away. <laughs> I, think, no. I think a lot of what we said will sort of stand in the future, maybe. I think he does display a lot of incredible qualities, but it's also a reminder of just how good Dominic Team is at the moment. And, you know, Felix Auger-Aliassime is not short on power and he's built perfectly for tennis, but Team Team is kind of another level of power and he's he's a thoroughbred and he's he's ready now, whereas Felix Auger-Aliassime simply isn't. And I wasn't expecting the gap to be so big, but I think as much as Auger-Aliassime didn't play his best and was... It was a different matchup for him. I mean, he hit way more backhands and I've seen him hit all tournament just because team managed to pepper him in that corner more. And But it also it also made me think just how good Dominic team is as well. He played at a level that, well, he said himself, he hasn't played since since he's returned to the tour. It's his best match by far. And 
a very a very timely one as well with his big week ahead. Matt, did you watch Dominic Team against Philip Krajinovic at the Western and Southern Open? <laughs> I did not, and I feel like that will remain an inexplicable result for for the rest of time. I asked the first question in his press conference after that, which was six two six one for Krajinovic, and that was less than two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. And I said to I said to Dominic, I thought I've got to go in this press conference. Or I was also kind of excited about doing a Zoom press conference for the first time, and I just wanted to go in one. Um, so, so anyway, I I got in there and I said, Dominic, what, what happened? And uh, and he he was totally held his hands up, and he said I was just terrible. I just couldn't play. I couldn't couldn't yeah, feel. But why? The, I could, he said I couldn't, couldn't feel the ball. I couldn't get any timing at all. I mean, look, I think Krajinovic is a quite a, a tricky player like that when he's not warmed up and not not into it yet, not not got his routine and, and, and rhythm. Um, Dominic Team has played more tennis during lockdown than everyone else plays not during lockdown. But that's the thing. I think that, that game where he threw in four, four unforced errors tonight is just a, that was a microcosm mm. of what can happen to team occasionally for a couple of sets. He has these weird results. And you, some, you're sometimes looking at the opponent's name and you're thinking, who's that? Who's, who's that that's just beaten you? Um, but yeah, he, he was very accepting, but he wasn't worried. That was the other thing that really struck me in that press conference. He wasn't worried. He knew that it was a wake-up call for him and he'd got to go away and just sort out his timing on the surface and work like a Trojan to go and get it right. And uh, the the thing that really struck me is because there were a lot of low-down angle shots that the TV cameras were providing. I mean, some of them were hilarious because Dominic team was out of view he was so far back in the court you could not see him matt managed to do a screenshot where he's just not not there uh it turns out he's just sort of hiding behind the line judge at the back of the court but you could see how Ogelia seems concept of being aggressive was plant my feet on the baseline like andre agassi or uh latter day roger federer and just try to take time away and half volley and and hit these shoulder high big forehands and and backhands and and dominate that way and yet his whole perception of the court is totally different i think to anything he's ever played against before because team is so far back if you serve or if you hit big ground strokes how do you get them through this guy who is so far back and who is taking full swings with maximum power and pace and top spin? Nadal-like in his own way, as you say, but just landing on his baseline with all this work and pace on it. And he couldn't time the ball. He was late on the forehand so often and it was going into the tram lines down the line. And he just he was out of answers. I didn't hear his press comments, but he looked completely bereft. So. Oh no, sit sit to pass style. Yes, there were similarities. He he had lost all answers. Uh, I think he's balanced and measured enough to not. He won't overreact. Um, I, he doesn't strike me as the the type to overreact at all. But it was really, I was surprised by how clueless he looked. Yeah, it must be difficult when you've had the sort of week Australia seem has had, where he will have been aware that. There was hype, I'm sure. And I'm sure he would have 
felt good about himself into the second week of a slam for the first time. So I think the key now is to use what happened today as motivation to get to that level rather than discouragement that I'm so far away from that level. And that, that, that must be a difficult thing to do. But, you know, he's certainly not the first young player to have to face that conundrum. And, and, and I, as you said, David, I, one of the reasons I think I'm so high on Australia seem being a great player in the future is his attitude and his approach to the sport. Mm. And I don't really have any question marks about that. So I'm sure he will get that right. I know it's only one match and tomorrow, next one may be different, but team looked like the man tonight. Um, mm-hmm. He looked like the one who's looking at Djokovic being out of the way and thinking, I'm having this. It's a bit of a shame that he's in the same half as Medvedev, isn't it? Because it does feel like those those two are the, are the ones. Although apparently Zverev was sublime yesterday. I didn't see much of that match with Davidovich for Kina, but uh, I will watch intently tomorrow his match with Borna Chorich. Yeah, but that'll be interesting. And we're commentating mm. on that one as well on Five Live. I'm, I'm, I am interested to see that. Um, so team plays Alex Dimonor, who beat Vasek Pospisil in straight sets, although from a, a scoreline of 2-6 down in the first set tiebreak, he trailed Pospisil and still won that tiebreak 8-6. And after that, Dimonor won pretty comfortably. <laughs> I, I'm not sure on the head-to-head of Dimonor and team, actually, but um, I'd be surprised if he would have the weight of shot to to rival him. I think it's 2-0 to team. I'm not sure about that. They definitely played at the US Open. I w- it's off the top of top of his head, folks. <laughs> they definitely played at the US Open. I remember because I actually watched the match when I was at the US Open in 2017. Of course he, and, of course um, he did. He was there for it. Bloody I'd hell. never heard of Alex Dimonor at that time. And he was, he was really, really skinny and small and just was completely overpowered by team. And you could imagine that happening again. But I think Dimonor's developed in a way that he has methods now to stop himself being overpowered, takes the ball so early. I, I love watching Dumanor. I, I feel like the thing that he does is also, maybe this is a bad thing for him, but he kind of brings out the best of his opponent. I feel like he's a good player to have in a match because you, he's exciting to watch and people play exciting tennis when they play him a little bit because there's so many exciting rallies because his movement's so good. And, um, and he actually said in his press conference, I would love to hit people off the court. I'd love to be able to do that, but I can't. So I've got to embrace what I have. And I, and I, I feel like he really takes pride in the fact that he's fast. I want to see both Team Dimonor as a tennis match and as a 100-meter sprint. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like <laughs> Dimonor has it as his patented manoeuvre if, mm. uh, if he was a wrestler. Um. <laughs> for, uh, for his sake, though, I sort of don't want him to to win the title because of how much regret he will feel about uh, the photos in in years to come due to the moustache. How about the mask? Which is one of the world's worst. <laughs> I told you the other day, didn't I? It was bad. Uh, apparently he's... Uh, somebody somebody <laughs> suggested he might be making an early start on November uh, and and he, he, he needs the time in order to grow it well. <laughs> That's what I heard. Um, so that's a good cause, at least. 
sure enough, US Open 2017, 646161 for Dominic Team. That was when Matt first appeared on the podcast for about five minutes, remember? Mm, it was. When I made yes. him do it and he didn't want to. That is all correct. It was excellent. <laughs> uh, the, the year after, Team beat uh, Dimonor in four sets on clay in the Davis Cup. So there you are. I uh, can't believe you don't remember that, Matt. And also weren't there for it. <laughs> Disappointing. Yeah. Uh, the other uh, match that has been just won is I, a bit of a surprise to me is that Rublev has come back from a set down to beat Berrettini. Uh, in, Why is that a surprise? I, I thought Berrettini would win, but then <laughs> what's new there? Uh, David Law gets prediction wrong. <laughs> so, uh, no, I just thought Berrettini would have, a, have a bit too much power for him and a bit... And he, he hadn't lost his serve. He'd won 51 service games in a row until that second set. I, I'm just I'm quite surprised that it tailed away 6-3, 6-3, 6-3. Now, maybe Rublev is just awesome. I didn't get to see it. But, uh, and Tiafo against Medvedev is being played as we speak. It's, um, it's bad news for Berrettini's fan. Have you, have you heard about this story? Just the one. Yeah, literally one. No, I haven't. There's a there's an Italian man called Giovanni who, of course, who owns a restaurant in New York. Well, I should say did because it burnt down, and oh, yeah, God. and Berrettini used to go to the restaurant. I think every like every night of his run last year. And anyway, this guy's a massive tennis fan, and he's been standing outside the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center all week with a megaphone shouting come on Berrettini or the Italian equivalent you know after every point he's kind of updating the live scores and then shouting with his megaphone and he's been pleased because Berrettini's been on court 17 quite a lot which apparently is sort of on the edge of the premises and he's been able to literally stand I don't know 10 or 15 meters away but obviously today with Berrettini on the on the Lewis Armstrong stadium his uh even his megaphone couldn't reach into there, and he was he was sort of petitioning outside for them to move that match back to court seventeen. Anyway, slightly bizarre story, but um, I guess oh. he can go home now. Oh, I experienced so many different emotions over the course of that uh, that story, Matt. Has Rublev got a fan, or is he just no? We're not aware of one. Okay. Um, well, he's the one who's through, so who cares? Um, and he now plays either Medvedev or Tiafo, which is going on at the moment. So, tomorrow... Oh, actually, before we do tomorrow, uh, have you heard this pa- uh, Roland Garros uh, announcement about mm. their mm. their plans? I think what they're going to have, 5,000 in one section and 5,000 in another in yep. order to keep them apart? Yeah, they're going to split the site into three distinct zones. And the zones are going to be focused around a, a stadium court. So there'll be the Philippe Chatrier zone, there'll be the Suzanne Longlon zone, and there'll be the Simon Mathieu zone. And in the Chatrier zone, 5,000 fans per day will be allowed. In the Longlon zone, another 5,000. And in the Simon Mathieu one and a half thousand so that takes the total capacity each day i think to eleven and a half thousand but there's no movement allowed between the zones um masks are going to be mandatory in the stands they said they are having qualifying but that will be behind closed doors um and all the players are going to be staying in 
player hotels. They're they're not going to have a a private housing arrangement like they had for the US Open. Um, Yeah, I mean, Serena was asked quite a lot about this and sounded a little bit concerned, I thought. The fact that she didn't quite understand why fans were allowed and then maybe she wasn't allowed to stay in her own apartment in Paris and she would have to stay in a hotel. That maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, And also I think just generally the thought of having fans must be, must be a little worrying when they've just come from this, this bubble with no fans to suddenly go to a a situation with quite a lot. I mean, obviously Serena was, was again explaining her very specific health concerns and how sort of cautious she is and worried about public areas with people. So I think, I think players will start to be asked more about these plans in the coming days. Obviously they just announced them today, but I think there might be a little, a little bit of concern among quite a lot of players about them. Hmm. We've just had Hmm. some breaking news folks. Uh, Whilst you were speaking there, Matt, the world number one and defending Roland Garros champion Ash Barty has released a statement to say she will not defend her French Open title and will not travel to Europe. Her statement reads, It has been a difficult decision to make, but unfortunately I will not be competing in Europe this year. Last year's French Open was the most special tournament of my career, so this is not a decision I have made lightly. There are two reasons for my decision. The first is the health risks that still exist with covid the second is my preparation which has not been ideal with without my coach being able to train with me due to the state border closures in australia i wish the players and the french federation all the best for a successful tournament i now look forward to a long pre-season and the summer in australia it's been a challenging year for everyone and although i am disappointed on the tennis front the health and well-being of my family and my team will always be my priority thank you to my fans for your continued support i can't wait to play for you again so, not a huge surprise in terms of we know how how little she wanted to to travel at the moment because of the situation and withdrew from the US Open, but it's no small matter to withdraw from a tournament that you won the year before. No, that's that's massive and um I think a bit a, a real reflection of how how different the climate now is with regards to the the pandemic and regulations in in different countries. I had dinner with a couple of Australian friends the other day, and and they were telling me um, how it is at home, even though their case numbers are relatively very very low, and they have they've been they've been less harmed, touch wood, so far uh, by by the pandemic than a lot of other countries. Certainly, a lot of other countries in in Europe, North America. Um, but they, you know, the, the Qantas have stopped flying internationally. There is no interstate travel permitted whatsoever. There are no international flights in and out of the state of Victoria at the moment. You know, it's it's serious, serious stuff. They've just extended the full lockdown in the Melbourne and, and surrounding areas. Um, so I can understand that in the context of all of that, it just would seem pretty ludicrous, actually, to be to be travelling to Europe and participating in a in a tournament with with crowds and and you know a, a, a very different attitude towards towards risk and yeah. regulation than than the one you're currently surrounded by. 
Yeah. Also, another piece of breaking news, or just a really a, an addition to something. Just, what is going on? <laughs> you're, you're taking this one, Matt. <laughs> um, well, this is actually just an, a reference to something that I I was talking about early on in tonight's show about the, and I think I think it's a direct response to the abuse that the lines person received in uh, in yesterday's incident and it's a tweet that Novak Djokovic has just put out addressing his fandom um, and he said thank you for your positive messages please also remember the Lions person that was hit by the ball last night needs our community's support too she's done nothing wrong at all I ask you to stay especially supportive and caring to her during this time um, so Anyway, he's, he's also adds sharing love with everyone. Europe, here I come. But anyway, the I'm, I'm pleased. I'm pleased that he has used his platform and influence, hopefully, to to stop this appalling behaviour. So well done to him for at least for doing that. I'm I'm pleased he did it. Right, tomorrow. Uh, we have Jennifer Brady against Yulia Putinseva. Who is going to win that? Well, I've, I've actually done a little bit of preparation for the preview section of the podcast for the first time this week. And I, I was wondering, that those four matches, who do you think is the favourite in every match? What is it, David? It's Yulia Putinseva versus Jennifer Brady. It's yeah. Brady. It's Brady, I would say, is the favourite. It's Zverev versus Chorich. Zverev. Zverev. Agreed. It's Osaka versus Rogers. Osaka. Osaka. And the final match is Karenia Busta versus Shapovalov. Shapovalov. Agreed. Interestingly, the other player leads the head-to-head in all four matches. Oh, my word. What a stat. Hmm. Oh, he's got a little smile on his face, folks. <laughs> oh, come look at Matt's face. It's, look at him. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, though, it's isn't it? It's <laughs> broadening. It's great. Wow. That is so the Jennifer best Bra- Hang ever. on a second. Shelby Rogers and leads the head-to-head against Naomi Osaka. 3-0. Yeah, yeah they haven't pl- David. <laughs> 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 Look at he's angry now. Look at that. No, I'm delighted. Um, I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think they've played for a few years. But, yeah, Sh- Shelby Rogers leads that head-to-head. Right. When when have Karenia Buster and Shapovalov well, been playing all these three, matches? Three times I... last year, which I don't remember any of them. And... Two, two on hardcore, which um, Pablo Crenia Busta won both of them. Where, where were they, Matt? Because I, I've got a memory of a match where I thought Shapovalov's got a real chance here or something, and he ran into Pablo Crenia Busta. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm he, thinking of someone else. He'll, ha- he'll have to be so disciplined, Shapovalov. I think that's the mm. problem. It'll be a test of his patience and discipline, which is what we've been needing to see from from Shapovalov. So. Yeah, it's a real, it could be a watershed moment, but yeah, yeah, it's a big test. Yeah, they played in Vienna, 6-3-7-5 to Pablo Karenia Busta, and they played in Chengdu in the semi-finals, 6-3-6-4 to Karenia Busta. I just had a little shudder when you said Chengdu. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm fresh out of breaking news, guys. Uh, anything- <laughs> Uh, anything else uh, that we want to say about tomorrow? Let's just see. What, what's up first? Um, I'm trying to. Putin Saver Brady. Oh yeah, yeah. So, well, we've. We, I mean, I, I kind of feel that all those that we've said are the favourites. That's just. I think. I don't think we're going to get any upsets of that personally. 
I've not been looking into Jennifer Brady's head-to-heads very much at all because she is a different mm. player this year mm. than the players she's been in any, any previous years. She's completely reinvented. So, sorry, Yulia, if you're taking heart from the head-to-head, disregard it. <laughs> you know that she's going to leave it all out there, that much we do know. Oh, yeah. So that's uh, from 5pm UK time, 12 o'clock local, Brady Putinseva. Then it's Chorich against Verev, which uh, I think you said 3-1, wasn't it, the head-to-head for Chorich, Matt? Uh, then we've got Osaka against Rogers in the evening session, followed by Karina Buster against Shapovalov. So that's all to come tomorrow. Just a quick British note. Joe Salisbury in doubles action alongside Rajiv Ram. Isn't that a good doubles partnership now? Semi-finals they're playing against Wesley Kulhoff. And is it, what's Mektic? Is it Nikola Mektic? I yes. think it is. Yes. Yeah. Wesley Kulhoff of dumping Stefanos Tsitsipas fame. Yeah. Oh dear, Steph's not had a very good week, has he? Um, <laughs> well, it was last year. Yeah, you know. Anyway, you've brought it up this year. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so there we are. Uh, it's all right. He doesn't live in the real world, so he's definitely not listening. <laughs> he, he likes podcasts. Maybe, maybe he is listening. All right, Steph. Um, right. Let's go to bed, Catherine. Go to bed. Uh, you've got yeah. to. You've got to get up in about seven hours, if that. Yeah. So. I will take that instruction and I will run with it. Yeah. An hour extra no encouragement of sleep, needed. given the later well, start. Have the clocks gone yep. back? <laughs> In oh. tennis terms, yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Zeus. Zeus, thank you for being our mascot, is all I can say. Uh, the greatest dog uh, of the US Open era is... <laughs> <laughs> of the podcast were, in 2020 trying not to insult all our other lovely dogs then weren't you Dave? i was i suddenly <laughs> thought i'm i'm on i'm on unsteady ground here because they're all great uh so anyway thank you so much for being our mascot we're gonna yeah, be really one listener sent us a, an email today with a, a picture of her love i can't i can't remember the listener's name but i remember the the dog's name that's the important bit. Is, harry i'm so sorry <laughs> i'm so sorry lovely listener but that picture of Harry has cheered me up on about 18 different occasions today. What's, what sort a, of dog? A, a King Charles Spaniel, uh, an eight-month-old. Um, it, oh, it's just an absolute delight of a, of a little dog. Oh, isn't that lovely? Um, yes, well, thank you ever but, so much. But not to overshadow Zeus, who is, who is, you know, but by definition of his name, you know, the almighty. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I can tell you it was Alice. Alice Lloyd is the owner of eight-month-old Harry, the King Charles Cavalier. So there we are. Oh, Cavalier King Charles, yeah. yeah. Two different, yeah. Is it, are they? He he is a cutie, yeah. Right. There's a King Charles Spaniel in there and a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Okay, right. <laughs> I'm learning stuff, folks. I'm learning. I've got to memorise all this for my <laughs> test next week. Okay, Catherine, go to bed. Matt, see you soon. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Leave us an iTunes review and tell your friends about the tennis podcast and then we'll keep doing more of them. We're going to do them anyway. But anyway, see you. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.